It's time for you to reverse your thinking about what you know about reverse mortgages and find out if one may be right for you in your divorce. Starting now, episode 123. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoy. Welcome, everybody, to episode 123 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I am your host, as always, Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy. Today, we're talking about reverse mortgages. But why, you ask? What does that have to do with divorce? Well, it's another option when you're trying to figure out your post-divorce future and what your lifestyle is going to look like. It's always good to understand your options, and with reverse mortgages, there tends to be a stigma out there and some misinformation. So we're just going to clear the air and talk with Mark uh, Gertz, who is a reverse mortgage specialist, uh, about it and hopefully answer any questions that you may have, just so you're aware of all your options. Now, Matthias, Matthias, now Mark Gertz started out in the mortgage business Way back when, uh, many years ago, after spending many years in the financial planning uh, and finance industries. And today, he's a financial counselor and a specialist in reverse mortgages. He works collaboratively with legal, financial, banking, and healthcare professionals to design ways to help their clients retire in comfort in their own homes. He's a patient person who enjoys making difficult financial concepts easy to understand. And he lives in L.A. with his family. So, Without further ado, let's talk with Mark about reverse mortgages and clear up any questions you may have. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's um, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. It is. It's a hot day here in New Jersey. Um, here too. Yep. Yeah. Here in LA, I, th- I think we're I think we're on the same latitude today. Same latitude. Yeah, ninety, but humid. Is it humid there? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is un 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 uh, um, uh, uncategor- uh, un uncharacteristically so for LA. Right, right. Yep, I haven't been there in so long. I almost forget, but I I remember still. Mm. Um, so today is going to be a great topic for the audience because, uh, like we were talking off the air a second ago, it's something that hasn't been covered on my show before. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You're the first, which is great for you um, and great for the audience because it's an important subject matter that uh, I think a lot of people might have some misconceptions about. Um, Mm -hmm. And like everything in life, knowledge is power, right? So um, we're going to talk about reverse mortgages and what that all is about. Um, But the first way I like to lead into these uh, conversations is let everybody know who might not be familiar with you a little bit about your background and kind of the path that you took to get where you are today. Sure, sure. So, um, so my name is Matthias Mark Gertz. Uh, I'm uh, based in Los Angeles, but I'm originally from uh, from New York City. Uh, grew up in Brooklyn and uh, and Far Rockaway in New York. Um, I've been in Los Angeles for about twenty three odd years. Um, I um, I started in the mortgage business uh, in the nineteen nineties. I um, uh, I segued into specializing in reverse mortgages about 11 or 12 years ago, um, uh, mainly because the more I, I drilled down into them, the more fascinated I became with them. Um, and about um, and about eight years ago, I made the decision that 
Um, I no longer wanted to solicit the public. I so I changed my my whole business plan, and now we work um, uh, almost one hundred percent through attorneys and 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 uh, uh, marriage coaches and divorce coaches and uh, uh, CFPs, CPAs. Um, but basically, I, I work through trusted advisors to find solutions for their clients. Um, I'm a graduate of the University of Southern California and then went on after that and got an MBA. Uh, I'm married. My wife uh, is Angie Wells. She is a uh, jazz and blues singer of some note. You can look her up at AngieWellsMusic.com. A little homework um, for everybody. I like that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I have a 16-year-old uh, who's in 11th grade. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I know you and I were talking about, uh, I think, parenting a little bit um, mm. a while ago and as everybody might know, I have a nine-year-old girl and, uh, yep, I'm, I have enough now I'm dealing with, uh, I'm, I can't even think about the teenage years. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, let's talk about, uh, reverse mortgages in, in the mm -hmm. historical perspective first and, and give everybody sure. a kind of, you know, a crash course in, you know, the path of reverse mortgages and, and like, you know, where did they start and, and how did it get to where we are now? Well, I really appreciate that question because I happen to believe that in order to understand these products, you, you have to understand some of the history. Yeah. Okay. And um, and for my purposes, that history begins in 1913 when the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was passed. I know you didn't expect me to go back that far, but 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 I am, and and I'm doing it for a reason. And it's very important to understand that the uh, the 20th century was a period of time when there was more social legislation passed than at any time before or since. Social legislation defined as laws that were passed to benefit the masses, the middle class, okay? So in 1913, the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was passed, which made income tax legal. So by the 1920s, the federal government was collecting all of this income tax money. And then in 29, the stock market crashed. And then in 33, Roosevelt comes in and he brings in what he called the New Deal, mm -hmm. which was a series of social legislation. Now, of all of the social legislation passed under the New Deal, the one piece that most people remember was passed in 1935, and that was called the Social Security Act. All right. So, um, uh, so by 1936, uh, people were started paying into Social Security. And what they said Social Security was going to do is it was going to solve senior poverty. That phrase was all over the front page of newspapers across the country at the time. It would solve senior poverty. Right. So in 1936, people started paying into Social Security. But in 1936, also, the average income in this country was about $2,100 a year. The average new home price was about $4,100. And if you had a spare 10 cents in your pocket, you could choose between a gallon of gas and a loaf of bread. Also in 1936, the average birth rate was about 6,000 people a day. Fast forward 10 years after World War II and the birth rate doubles. And it stays there for the better part of 20 years. And that becomes the baby boomer generation. Baby boomers, yeah. Right. Now, by 1956, Congress already knew that Social Security was in trouble, but it was the darling of the public and they couldn't get rid of it. So instead, working in collaboration with the IRS, they started to change the message. 
And the message was that you needed to save money to um, supplement Social Security. So beginning in 1956, uh, they started passing a series of social legislation uh, to induce Americans to save money for retirement. And that's where all of your uh, deferred uh, retirement plans begin, is in 56. But by the late 1960s, people were not rushing to put money into this. And, uh, and a congressional committee on uh, aging concluded that one of the main reasons is that with the GI Bill after World War II, everybody was enamored with real estate, okay? So in 1968, this committee invited an economist from UCLA to come and speak to them about this idea that he had to solve the one big problem with home ownership, which was that it was not a liquid asset when you needed the money. Right. But Congress didn't do very much with this until the 1980s. And in 19, 1988, President Reagan signed into law the Heckam Bill, Home Equity Conversion Mortgage Bill, which started a 10-year study resulting in 1998 with Heckam's, what most people think of today as reverse mortgages, being made permanent. So, so the, the important thing to understand about, about reverse mortgages is that, number one, They've only been around in their current form for about 25 years. And number two, all they are is a piece of federal social legislation like IRAs, KIOs, and 401ks that are administered by private companies. So that's sort of the background history on these products. No, I think that's really great. Um, and I felt like I was in, you know, back in school with the in, in I, history class, but it, it, it was in a good way um, because it, <laughs> right, like you said, if you don't have a background about yeah. how all this happened, then it's hard to understand why we are where we are today. Um, so we have a cool uh, a game to play today uh, to help oh. teach people about reverse mortgages a little bit. Okay, maybe uh, answer some of the the common myths that may be out there that I'm sure you are more than well aware of. Mm. Um, We'll do a little true and false. How's that sound? That sounds great. I haven't done true and false on the podcast yet, so I'm excited. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, right. So I'm going to ask you some questions here. Um, sure. And then you can say, obviously, true or false, and then, you know, perhaps expound on that a little bit. Sure. Um, so, so let's start with this one. Homeowners never give up title or ownership of their homes. True or false? Um, that's actually true. Uh, reverse mortgages are just a mortgage like any other mortgage. Um, you do not give up title. Uh, the bank does not take title to the house. However, um, these products got the reputation for, for doing that. And there's a reason why. And, and can I expound on that for a Please. second? Yeah. Okay. Back in the 1960s, there were some reverse mortgage lenders, I'm sorry, some uh, mortgage companies that um, came out with their own version of a reverse mortgage, except under their program, here's the way it worked. Uh, you signed the title of the house over to the lender. Uh, they sent you money to live on each month and let you right. stay in the house. And then when you died, the lenders took the house. Now, where that program came into problems was in the late 70s, when those homeowners from the 60s began to pass away, was the first time that their adult children found out that there were no um, there was no house to inherit. And all hell broke loose. Big articles in the paper, and Landers writing columns against it, uh, congressmen talking about senior abuse. And those programs basically died of their own weight. Uh, but the damage was done. An entire generation and their kids 
now believe that anything called a reverse mortgage was bad. But the only thing that those programs from the 1960s have in common with the current programs, which have only been around since 1998 permanently, is the same nickname. Otherwise, they have absolutely nothing in common. It just crossed my mind. Before we get into some of these more true and false questions, let's cover for those who, you know, maybe have heard the term reverse reverse mortgage and, and has this negative connotation to it, like you just described. Mm-hmm. Let, let's let's define this, right? What what is a reverse mortgage? Great question. Um, a reverse mortgage is just a mortgage. It works like any other mortgage, except you have the option not to make payments. And if you don't make payments, then the interest portion of the payment is in effect added on to the end of the loan. So the balance of the loan goes up instead of down. I happen to think that it's a misnomer. They they shouldn't be called reverse mortgages. They should be called option loans because you have the option to either make payments or not make payments in any shape or form that you choose. So whenever I discuss a complex subject matter, for me, that's complex, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. which doesn't take much, I'll be honest. (laughs) I tell people, I say, talk to me like I'm a three-year-old. So that's what I want you to do here when when it's about reverse mortgages, because I, I just have this feeling that a lot of people right? Maybe I've heard the term, have this idea of what they think it is in their head, which Mm -hmm. perhaps is accurate, um, and which is why we're talking about it today. But Mm -hmm. let's just say, let me give you a little hypothetical. Um, Let's say I have a mortgage that has $300,000. That's the the balance of the mortgage. All right. Um, And I decide, or I'm considering entering into a reverse mortgage, right? So- my my monthly payments, let's say right now, are something like uh, twenty five hundred a month. We'll just round a, a round number. Um, if I entered into a reverse mortgage, mm-hmm. how would that work? Because you said I don't have to make payments. Um, That's correct. So okay, yeah, just t- break it down then. Okay, so a few a few um, uh, dis- uh, disclaimers. First of all. What determines the um, what determines the amount of money that you can get under a reverse mortgage is a combination of the age of the borrower and the value of the property. Okay, most reverse mortgage products are not available to anybody under the age of fifty five. Okay. okay, but assuming that you were fifty five or older, um, and assuming um, that your property was of a value where there was enough equity in the property, here's the way it would work. So you you say that there's a, um, the mortgage payment's 2,500 a month. So let's say that of that 2,500 a month, $500 is principal and $2,000 is interest. Right. So if you were to pay off that loan with a reverse mortgage, all right, um, the interest portion of the reverse mortgage payment, okay? Because there are no payments required, but the interest portion of the reverse mortgage payment, and let's just say hypothetically that it was $2,000 a month, just like your mortgage payment, would be added onto the loan. So using that example, your mortgage at the end of one year would be 
25 to $26,000 higher than when you started the reverse mortgage. And that's all the interest that accrued. And, and, that's, and that's all just interest. That's correct. And, and under that scenario, I would still be, as the homeowner, making the $500 difference or the, the principal payments um, every month? No, you wouldn't be making any payments per month. Oh. Or you, or you wouldn't be required to be make any payments per month. Okay. If you wanted to voluntarily, you have the option. Okay. And, and if you do make payments of any type under a reverse mortgage, it will um it will slow down the increase in the loan balance. But right. there's no but there's no requirement to. What most of my clients do, if they have the means to actually make payments under a reverse mortgage, is instead of worrying about making payments on the mortgage, they take that extra extra money in their budget and they invest it. Okay. And they, and in effect, in effect, what you're doing is you're diversifying the equity in your house because you've paid off this mortgage. Let's say you got some cash or maybe you didn't get some cash. All right. Um, and now, and now all of a sudden you have an extra $2,500 a month in your budget. Well, if you don't need that $2,500 a month to live on, you could take that $2,500 a month and you could stick it into a Schwab account or a money market account or, or anything you want. Now, your house is still appreciated. It's still going up at 4 or 5% a year on average. Right. Okay. So the appreciation on the house is offsetting the interest accumulation on the reverse mortgage. So that at such time that you either sell the property or 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 pass away, the great majority of the time there is still going to be equity in the property for your heirs. But if you took that twenty five hundred dollars a month, which is thirty thousand dollars a year, and you invested it, at the end of ten years you would have three hundred thousand dollars in that side fund, plus interest earnings. At the end of twenty years you'd have $600,000 in that in that side fund plus interest earnings by that time it would probably be over a million dollars so it's it's you you if you're comparing apples to apples okay you have to figure on taking the mortgage payment and investing it on the side now admittedly most people don't do that but but if you want to compare the the value of it if you want to think in terms of diversifying equity in your property and and making it liquid, it's a it's a good way to do it, especially uh, at the point in your life where you are contemplating retirement and you want to look at options. So, under the scenario that we were just just, just discussing, mm -hmm. um, where let's say somebody would stop making payments twenty five hundred dollars a month, um, but the interest um, of two thousand dollars is getting tacked on to the backside of the mortgage, right? Um, if and when the homeowner uh, or the principal passes away, mm -hmm. then the property, which would be theoretically an asset, right, that mm -hmm. can get passed down or distributed right. or whatever, still exists as an asset um, mm -hmm. and ownership. It's just it has a higher uh, mortgage to pay off. Exactly. 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 Okay. So- so let's just say let's just say hypothetically 
um, that the appreciation on the pro- on the entire value of the property offsets the interest on just the loan. Okay, so so let's say it's a wash. So if at the time that you take out the reverse mortgage, you have, let's say, $500,000 of equity still in the property after taking out the loan, there's a very strong possibility that 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you're still going to have $500,000 of equity in the property or more, okay? Because the appreciation on the entire property offsets the interest accumulation just on the mortgage portion. You see? Right. And that's okay. assuming that it there's a continual appreciation. Um yes, but, that's assumed. Right. Yes. But 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 historically over the last 30 years, um most homes have appreciated at the rate of four percent, five percent, depending on what part of the country you're in. In major metropolitan areas like yours and mine, th- those are not uh uh, th- those are not liberal figures. They're they're relatively conservative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially now, if you look at you know home values and they're, they're mm-hmm. you know through the roof, um, which is yep. great for people who are selling. But then, I, like I always say, um, if you sell for a high price, then you got to live somewhere else and you got to buy. You, exactly, it's a wash, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to figure out how you're going to uh, how you're going to juggle that. You're absolutely now, right. One quick question that I have, and this is all just coming from the top of my head, but I, I figure sure. if I have this question, other people might have this question. You're absolutely right. If people who qualify for a reverse mortgage tend to be, like you said, at least 55 or older, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps you know retiree age, mm-hmm. um, let's say they have they own their property outright. There is no more mortgage. Okay. Do they still qualify for a reverse mortgage, and how would that work? That's a great question. Um, th- there, There is a belief in some circles that property has to be free and clear to do a reverse mortgage, which is totally untrue. The majority of the time we actually pay off existing loans. But if you have, um, if you have a free and clear property, um, and, and let's talk about the HECM product, the, the government design program for a second. Um, it's a very, very versatile product. Uh, it gives you it gives you access to a great deal of equity in the home, but it gives you a myriad way of actually taking the money. Okay, uh, th- there are four options to taking that money out. You can take it in cash, which is what most people are familiar with, or you can take it as a line of credit. All right, um, uh, you can take it in payments for a specific amount of time, or you can take it in payments for life. And you can mix and match all of those options at will. You can change them if if things in your lifestyle change. <clears throat> Let me just take a minute and talk about that line of credit option because yeah. it's a it's a it's an incredibly interesting option. It's very similar in a lot of ways to what people think of as home equity lines of credit from the bank, with a with a couple of really really different um, uh, differences. Uh, the, the number one difference is that that line of credit increases by an amount equal to the interest rate on the loan. So in other words, if the interest rate on the Heckam reverse mortgage is, let's just say for argument's sake, 7%, that means that the line of credit is actually increasing 
by 7% a year on the unused portion of it, which gives you access to more equity in your home in later years. The second, the second really significant difference between a HELOC, uh, I'm sorry, a, a home equity uh, conversion mortgage line of credit versus a home equity line of credit at the bank is that home equity lines of credit um, have fine print in them that states that if your property value should drop, that the bank has the right to either reduce or call the loan at will. Right. And that's how a lot of people got caught in, in 08 and 09 and, and, and 2010. A reverse mortgage line of credit does not have that fine print. In other words, once a reverse mortgage line of credit is in place, it floats totally independent of the property value, which means if we should encounter a situation like we did in 08, where property values dropped by 40 or 50%, and you have a reverse mortgage line of credit uh, in a Heckam product, that line of credit is not going to be frozen, it's not going to be called, and it's not going to be reduced. As a matter of fact, it's going to continue to increase each year. So let me let me just ask you another question on this line of credit, uh, because this is interesting. Um, and so again, we're assuming that there is no underlying mortgage, right? The house is full. House paid. is free and clear. Free, free and clear. clear. So right. you enter into a reverse mortgage. They issue this line of credit. So let's mm -hmm. say you take two thousand dollars a month from. Let's say you're. That's the number that you're. I guess permitted to draw from. No, no. You you you. You, you can, can draw, draw whatever you want. You can draw at will. There's no restriction. So let's say let's say you take out fifty thousand dollars. Let's say okay. the house is worth five hundred thousand. Okay. You 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 with your line of credit withdraw fifty thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Do it. You know, you go down to uh, Vegas and you blow it all. <laughs> okay. It <laughs> One happens. hand to blackjack. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Um, that and then you want to and then you want to sell your home. Okay. I guess you would have to whatever you sell your home for. Let's say you sell it for six hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Um, do you have to pay back that fifty thousand dollars to for the loan that you took? It a reverse mortgage is a mortgage. It's like any other mortgage in that regard. If you decide to sell your property and you have a reverse mortgage on the house, what happens at the closing, very simply, is like any other mortgage. At the closing, the real estate agent gets their commission, the mortgage company gets paid off, and the balance of the funds get paid to you. Okay. It's no more complicated than that. So the so basically the, the reverse mortgage loan in the line of credit scenario is um just that. It's a loan that will get subtracted from the equity of the house that remains uh if and when you sell. That's correct. That's correct. Um okay. the the unused portion of the the line of credit. Obviously, if you pay off the loan, then the line of credit, you know, disappears with it. Sure. But but the only but if but if you take out a reverse mortgage line of credit, the only money that you owe is the amount of money that you have taken off the line yourself. Just like a home equity line of credit at the bank, same concept. So to use round numbers, 
let's say your line of credit is $300,000. And let's say you take 150 out and then you want to sell your house. Well, you don't have to pay back the whole 300. You just pay the 150 plus some interest that accumulated at the closing and the rest of the money goes to you. Gotcha. Um, and in the event that you used up the entire line of mm -hmm. credit, um, then does the property transfer title to the mortgage company? No, it doesn't. Um, like, like I mentioned earlier, the title stays in your name. The lender cannot take possession of the house. All right. The, the only things that you can do while you're living in the house that would create a situation like that is not paying the taxes or the insurance or the homeowners association fees if it's a condo. Right. All right. But as long as you take care of your property charges and you're living in the property, the lender cannot and will not take possession of the house, even if you use up the entire line of credit. Okay. So in that scenario, if and when you sell that house, um, there just wouldn't be any equity really left in it. Or or there would be less equity. Less. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say none, but 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 there's going to be less. That's correct. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. This is yeah. this is all great information, Mark. Um, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. I know we're just kind of right. touching the the tip of the iceberg, really. Um, a little bit. But yeah. but like I said, when you when you're having fun, time flies. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so no so we're we're almost out of time. Um, and I and I was going to play that true false game with you. Um. But, you can keep going. I'll, I'll I'll keep my answers more succinct. No, okay. no, this is no, this is great because it, the explanation is what matters. Um, uh -huh. Okay, you know, that's what helps people really understand what's going on here, which is important. No um, worries. For me. But um, I'll I'll throw a couple of more true false at you, and then uh, I want to ask you a final question uh, before we tie up. How's that sound? Sure, that sounds great. Sounds like a plan. All right. Now I know we covered um, a lot of information. So I don't want to I don't want to repeat stuff we did. Um, so let me see. Let me look at my my list here. How, okay, here, true or false? Even though both spouses are on a loan, the loan comes due when one dies. True or false? That's false. That's false. Um, reverse mortgages, all reverse mortgages currently in the marketplace, <clears throat> are right of last survivor. So in other words, the loan does not come due until the second spouse passes away. This is also a good moment to mention that you do not have to be married to somebody that you take out a reverse mortgage with. As a matter of fact, there can be multiple uh, uh, people on the title. Uh, I think they'll go up to like six, you know? So if like four people wanted to get together and buy a, a, a four unit property and each one lived in one, you, you can do that with a reverse mortgage. Okay. And awesome. and the loan would not come due until the last one passed away. Gotcha. That's great to know. Here, last one for today. Okay. The closing the closing costs and fees are the same with a reverse mortgage versus a traditional mortgage. The big difference is that reverse mortgage fees must be paid upfront. True or false? Um, that's actually false because what that means is is that you have to come in and write a check to pay the closing costs. And that's not true with reverse mortgages. With reverse mortgages, you have that option, but most people opt to uh, include the closing costs in the loan. They just roll it in. Just roll it in. That's right. right. No, and that's another because that closing costs can be, you know, quite expensive. They can add up. They they can they can um, and um, 
and the closing costs on reverse mortgages are pretty much um, are pretty much comparable to uh, the closing costs on on any FHA loan, with with one exception. I know we're running close on time. Um, uh, you remember I, I I mentioned to you that the the um, that that the government uh, designed this program, and one of the reasons why it took ten years for it to become permanent was because the pro program had a problem. And the problem was, if the loan should grow higher than the value of the property, who pays the shortfall? Mm. And the conclusion the government came to was that the government would pay the shortfall. So what HUD did is they instructed the FHA to set up a special insurance fund. And the homeowner pays a premium out of their proceeds into this insurance fund. And this insurance fund guarantees that neither the homeowner, the trust, the estate, the heirs, nobody is ever going to be in a situation where they have to write a check to make the loan whole. All right. Wow. Okay. That That's awesome. Really. Mark. Sir. I spoke with you about this off the air, but I'm going to ask you officially on the air um, okay. because people need to know you're yeah. in California. I'm in New Jersey. Right. Who can you help with reverse mortgages? Only people in California or everywhere? No, uh, we, um, we we do business all around the country. Um, reverse mortgages are available in all 50 states. Um, they're actually in, uh, available in some foreign countries as well, but I I predominantly work in the United States. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm available for consultation um, to any anybody listening to this podcast. How can they reach you? They can reach me either by phone at 310-447-5266, um, or you can go to my website, which is reverseyourthinking.mortgage, like right behind me there. Yep, for those watching okay. on, on the video. Reverseyourthinking.mortgage, or call me at 310-447-5266. And... Um... And we'll have all that information in the show notes too for those who are not able to write it down or go to it right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this was great. Uh, my first foray into reverse mortgages, and I know it's a uh, it's something out there that people think they know about, but perhaps they they don't have all the information. So I'm glad right. that you were able to provide and and again to scratch the the tip of the iceberg to get people to understand exactly what is involved with them. And if you want to learn more, you know who to reach out to now. Well, right. hope, hopefully you'll have me back and, and we can continue uh, continue this conversation. Um, and 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 considering the fact that you're a divorce coach, I'll also mention that these loans can be used in uh, in divorce settlement situations as well. Oh, that's even better to know. Another, another option on, on the table. Um, yep. Right. Yep. And then like I always preach to people, there's more than one way to skin a cat most of the time. Uh, yes. So knowledge is power. And now you learned a little bit more about reverse mortgages. Um, so great. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great. And we'll definitely have you back. Uh, it was my pleasure. I uh, I thank you so much for having me. And uh, uh, please tell your audience that they're welcome to call me, even if they don't want a reverse mortgage. If they just have a question, I'm happy to make the time. I think you just told them yourself. <gasps> How about that? All right. I hope we all learned something about reverse mortgages. I know I did because... Uh, you know, you hear the term once or once in a while, maybe see a commercial on TV, but you really don't understand what's involved. And maybe, just maybe, it is an option you want to think about for your situation. Now, if you're looking for help with your divorce and you want a divorce coach to be on your side and strategize and give you 
all the options to make sure you get through this process with confidence, integrity, and as quickly and cheaply as possible. Reach out to me, Jason at JasonLavoy.com. I offer group and one-on-one coaching programs. You can learn more about me on my website, JasonLavoy.com. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.